You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. So we at J.P. Morgan understand that there are a lot of these high-quality, in-demand career pathways that just don't have enough people in them, let alone um, diverse backgrounds, let alone women, right? You know, there's the old adage, you can't be what you can't see. So if we need more students in Columbus City Schools to graduate and go into tech, we need to show them what is tech, what is computer science, and what does that look like in a career? From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. Courtney Filato was used to being on the side of the table asking for money. She had spent much of her career in education research, often seeking out dollars to fund that work. But in early 2020, just as the world changed, she made her way to the other side of the table. She joined J.P. Morgan Chase as Vice President and Program Officer for Global Philanthropy, a role in which she oversees grant development for Ohio and Kentucky. During a recent conversation for our Women of Influence podcast, Vlada talked about the pros and cons of making that shift, as well as the ways J.P. Morgan Chase's funding interests align with her passion. She also shared insight into how nonprofits can land some of the financial giants' funds. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining, Courtney. Um, So I was... chuckled when I looked at your LinkedIn when I was prepping because I saw that your start date in this job was March 2020, uh, which I'm sure was a notable thing. Um, So, but I, but I was, you know, I feel like this job feels a little bit like a a change from what you were doing. You have this strong education background. Can you tell me a little bit about how you found your way to uh, J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah, that's a great question. So how I found my way and what my career pathway was is something I've done a lot of reflection on given the research background I have. So I spent most of my career in workforce and education, namely in research, where I spent about a decade. And then um, I did a stint in K-12, where I was implementing that research. Um, And then I moved to higher ed, where I was leading programmatic design and deployment. You know, how does this get me to Chase? How does this get me into philanthropy? Well, I spent most of my career writing grants and seeking money for research, for schools, for districts. Um, But now there was this amazing opportunity to be the one that was creating the strategy to distribute dollars for community impact. So after all these years of believing in programs, believing in students, believing in causes and writing grants to get more money to fund them, I was now going to be on the opposite side where I was going to be empowered and charged with distributing dollars for impact. At JPMorgan Chase, we have four pillars that we fund around. One of them is workforce, jobs, and skills. And I often tell everybody that's my love language. After having spent so much time in research, um, focused on education research and how innovations in K-12 impact kids, 
Um, and then spending some time at higher ed, looking at jobs and workforce for students and things like smart, smart cities, smart work, smart tech. It was a great fit to then come to Chase and lead the work of a program officer. So I cover Ohio and Kentucky. I do a lot of investment around jobs and skills. So I get to leverage a lot of my background, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which has been so thrilling and so exciting. Filato isn't a Columbus native, but she does have deep ties to Ohio. So you're from Virginia yes. originally. So how did you wind up in Columbus? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so I, um, oddly, I was born in Dayton, but I only lived there in a year and a half. My parents went to UD and my dad uh, moved to Blacksburg, Virginia. So I grew up between two towns in Virginia, graduated high school in Blacksburg. And my senior year, my dad got a job back in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And so um, at the time, though, I was looking at Virginia schools, wanted to be a Hokie, maybe a Wahoo, I wasn't sure. Ohio State became an in-state school mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Um, that my parents asked me to look at. So I ended up going to Ohio State. It was an in-state option. My parents moved right after I graduated. And so um, I came to Columbus and mm-hmm. I've, I've been here for a while now. Yeah, that's so funny because I'm always like, we got to be in Virginia by the time my daughter's in high school. So we'll do the inverse you just because I feel like the state schools there. Yes, good. they're amazing. That, I mean, Ohio State I mean, also amazing. good. Washington yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, VM, we have so many expensive. great. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> my husband went to William and Mary. So I my brother like and the, sister went to William oh, and Mary. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like Williamsburg. It's very nice. Yeah. Joining a big organization like Chase would be a big shift for anyone as the scale of a corporate giant and one of the biggest banks in the world is a lot to adjust to. But for Filato, it also involves switching sides, as it were, and sectors. You mentioned that sort of you you we're changing sides and going to this job from being yeah. the one riding the grandstone. <laughs> what's the what's been the hardest part of that transition? I'd never worked in the private sector before. And for those who have only worked in private, it would be like them going to public, right? I mean, it's just they're two very, very different worlds. Um, I also think my start date um, <laughs> was a bit of a pickle. Um, I started at J.P. Morgan on March 2nd, 2020, mm-hmm. two weeks before shelter in place. So within my first two weeks, Um, I was home with, at the time, first and third grader doing online learning, just like everyone else and learning, you know, who is the firm? What are we doing? And in that that very humbling moment to be a funder, you know, how are we going to deploy our dollars in the way to have the greatest impact in community? So the timing, I... I joined with the challenge. Um, and then, yeah, I think going into the world of business, mm-hmm. um, it's a different language, totally different language, different culture. Um, but Chase has been phenomenal and I'm, I'm lucky to be there. Are you still remote now? Are you working at McCoy Center? What are you um, Yeah, I'm at McCoy um, off and on. I mean, in a job like mine, um, community is my office. So I'm out and about. Like today, I have meetings downtown after this. So mm-hmm. I'll hit up McCoy at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's, I guess you sort of talked about this with the Way it fulfilled what you've done, but what's been your favorite part of the change or the best part of it? You know, I think the best part has been having the power to work with some of these organizations and support them, um, support them in their growth, find leaders that are impressive and exciting. And it's not about taking a chance on them. It's about empowering them with the resources that they need to continue to take their ideas and back their mission, their vision and goals. As someone who's built an entire resume around this idea of innovation and uh, really supporting the idea of change, not just for change's sake, but to really move the needle. Um, It has been awesome to meet people and organizations that I think are kind of those trailblazers within community and provide them resources, whether it's time, whether it's talent or treasure, right? We are a bank, but we have more than money. So doing that um, triangulation and support has been awesome. Great. What does your team look like at Chase? Do you have... 
Yeah, so a great question. So I am a team of one-ish here in Ohio and Kentucky. So I am the program officer that covers Ohio and Kentucky. Um, I have partners. Um, so our government relations is part of our CR team. We have public engagement that's part of our CR team. But we're, you know, we're a, a team of equals with very uh, specific spaces and lanes. So I fund things that are pillar aligned. My partner funds things that are not, but important to the community. And then government relations, you know, herds cats. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. you know, we all have our very distinct roles. We're kind of tribes of three in our Uh states. Yeah. Uh Well, I think think the answer is probably going to relate to those pillars, but say I'm a, a nonprofit that feels like I want some money from Chase. Yeah. What should I do? <laughs> what should I do? Um, this is a common question. Um, so unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, I am a team of one. Um, so we are an invite-only um, organization, which means I will invite you to submit an application for some dollars after we've gone back and forth and talked. And, and I actually think this is a great thing because it tells our nonprofit leaders that, hey, don't waste your time and pulling some random shot in the dark together. If I'm interested in funding you, we're going to sit down and talk about it, and I'm going to make sure your application is successful. Mm-hmm. So pros and cons of that. Pros mean I have to invite you, which means I have to know about you. Cons mean it's just it's a bandwidth with one person and the amount of nonprofits, the volumes across four markets that I cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wouldn't be sustainable to go through all of that. So, mm-hmm. so try and try and get try an and intro. Find me. Yeah, try to yes. find me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Salado joined Chase at a time of economic uncertainty. Now we find ourselves in another one, with a potential recession looming. I asked how the thought of a downturn might impact philanthropic spending. We're at kind of a strange time thinking about economic conditions if we're headed into a recession. Mm -hmm. As somebody in the the philanthropic sector, how does that factor into your decision-making, if it does, you know, whether or not we're about to be in a a recessionary environment? I mean, it it definitely does. That's such a great question. You know, we at Chase, one of the things that we did early on, I think like a lot of foundations, when the pandemic hit, Um, We looked at our strategies and we looked at our framework for giving. And we said, is this still relevant? Because the world fell out and it changed. But what was interesting to see is that the pillars that we've been building around didn't change. Um, And I would say the same for this economic, um, the potential economic downturn. You know, we at JPMorgan Chase believe um, in building inclusive communities within the markets that we serve. To do that, we believe in four pillars of investment that we really believe will lift up the communities that we're, we're seeking to lift up. And those are workforce. So we are looking to um, support things like K-12 career pathways and upskilling and reskilling opportunities. Our second pillar is small business expansion. You know, how can we provide underserved populations the technical assistance and access to capital they need um, to go through their entrepreneurial journey and to venture on as a small business owner and grow? Um, for financial health and wellness, that's pretty self-explanatory. And then the last pillar is housing. You know, how can we really focus on housing affordability and housing stability? If you think about, you know, depending on how this year goes in the next couple of years, all those four pillars are still very relevant. You know, and we, so our job as program officers is to stay close to the pulse of community and see, you know, what is the best way for us mm-hmm. to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, ARPA dollars, for example. You know, we are really interested, I think, a lot of people in philanthropy right now. You know, where are cities and counties and states putting those sorts of dollars? Because if you can put dollars there, we can put dollars in places that you can't necessarily put your dollars in for new pilot programs or things like that. All of this is just, you know, our our day-to-day conversations on as the world turns, how are we remaining not just relevant, but as impactful as we can. One of Chase's pillars is housing, a key issue in central Ohio as the shortage of units pushes prices even higher. 
can you give me, you mentioned housing being one of the pillars and that's another big focus here. Can you give me some examples of the ways that, that, the, that JP Morgan is, is helping to address this huge shortage that we talk about? Yeah, so, so that's a great question. Here in Columbus, um, you will see all four pillars present. So the way that we do our grant making is kind of the larger the market, um, the larger our investments, right? Which is very, um, which is very normal in the world of corporate philanthropy. Um, here in Columbus, our um, housing work has really focused on things like research and pilots. Um, so for example, we had a grant this last year with the Affordable Housing Trust um, with Lark Mallory and her great team to support their Emerging Developers of Color program. So we wanted to pilot this program. And then if the pilot works, you know, support other corporate partners on the scale of it, right? We need more developers of color. The only way to do that is to train them. So we need these sorts of pilot programs with the culturally competent technical assistance, and then ultimately the access to capital, which Lark brings. Another great housing uh, investment that we've made is in Resiliency Bridge. Um, we call this a joint pillar investment just because it's both housing and workforce. If we can help individuals sustain their housing, whether it's utility assistance, rental assistance, if we can help them stabilize life, how does that support them persisting to degree at Columbus State? And then the ultimate question, what is the long-term impact on that person and on that community if we can do that? So if we can sustain people through educational upskilling, how does that support them in the short term and the long term when it comes to economic impact? Um, so those are just a couple examples of our housing work. So the million-dollar question, perhaps literally, what is Chase looking for in a program that deserves its money? Well, we're obviously super interested in, in workforce here. What are some of the hallmarks of successful programs or programs that you, you think it's a fit for, for Chase to back? To back. So we are, um, that's a great question. Uh, we are a very research-based uh, foundation, like so many. Um, you know, we really focus and leverage our dollars in places and spaces where we know that research has shown us um, that there is great impact on the target populations. Um, so things like for workforce, um, one of the areas that we do a lot of investing in right now is career pathways. So we at J.P. Morgan understand that there are a lot of these high-quality, in-demand career pathways that don't just that just don't have enough people in them, let alone um, diverse backgrounds, let alone women. Right? Two of those: tech and healthcare here in Central Ohio. So we've been doing a lot of investing around, you know, how can we get more kids exposed to, engaged in, and prepared for these high-quality, in-demand career paths. You know, there's the old adage, you can't be what you can't see. So if we need more um, students in Columbus City Schools to graduate and go into tech, we need to show them what is tech, what is computer science, and what does that look like in a career, mm -hmm. you know? And how can we show you people who look like you, who have blazed that trail and been on that pathway before? Because we research shows us that's incredibly important to those students. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that? <laughs> um, well, you know, you obviously you identify them. You know, we're really lucky here in Central Ohio that we have Ohio State University right up the street. And so when you think about STEM, diversity in STEM, you know, we have some incredible role models there um, that can be tapped or are being tapped and shown to these students. Um, also, the advent of technology has made it so that we are allowed to Skype in or bot in um, mentors, um, guest speakers, impressive individuals with similar backgrounds to the students, similar stories um, that they can relate to and then see themselves in that career path. Um, so I will tell you if there's any positives that can come from the pandemic, it's that maybe we've learned to use technology a little better mm -hmm. um, to extend the classroom out to the community more. 
As with all my guests, I wanted to know a little bit about what Falado does when she isn't doling out big bucks on behalf of a financial powerhouse. And then uh, tell me a little bit more about your your life outside of work. Where will we find you on a Saturday? So I have two children. They are 12 and 9. So I'm between volleyball, dance, basketball, and football. Oh, my gosh. Are, like, <laughs> seasonal sports that we play. Uh-huh. I love to go out um, to eat downtown. Sycamore is, like, my favorite haunt. I was devastated when it closed during the pandemic and thrilled when it opened back up. Um, so that's one of my favorite places to go. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I'm out and about. I like to to stay busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you, do you read much? Um, I do read a lot more for work than pleasure. Mm-hmm. Pleasure more when I travel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got How many hours a week would you say you're working? It depends, right? I mean, I think um, work-life balance is important, but I think in jobs like this, you know, our nonprofit leaders are always working. Um, I make myself as available as I need to be to support them and whatever, you know, the firm can do to support. So I think it just depends. Mm-hmm. Like, Definitely 40 hours. Yes. But, you know, often more. (laughs) My closing question, as always, what advice would you give a young woman just graduating from college looking to follow in your footsteps? So I've thought about this a lot. I, I cannot undervalue how important my network has been throughout my career. I was always seeking to meet people, to learn about their work. Um, whether or not it was like really aligned to my work, I will tell you it wasn't until my mid-30s that I really saw the thread through my career trajectory of like, it just seemed so random. I was like, so I started off in research and then I'm, you know, director of innovation in schools districts and now I'm at the corporate engagement office and now I'm here and smart cities are in there and like, what does this all mean? And I, I started to see my workforce trend. You know, I think the biggest thing, two things, one, my network has been so important. So always ask people, always try to meet new people. When you meet someone that's really interesting, ask, is there one or two more people that you think that I should meet with now that you know me? I love that strategy. I still do it to this day just to keep increasing my network. And then the other piece of advice that I really still take to heart, and I use it with young people, old people, whomever, you know, gone are the days I think that we ask people, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. Um, there was a great talk I heard from the Google evangelist, and I can't remember his name, but he said um, at this talk he was given, don't ask people what they want to be when they grow up. Ask them what problems they want to solve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a powerful reframing, especially in this world. I mean, I'm a political science major who somehow went from here, 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 and here. And, you know, as I looked and I was sort of trying to figure out, like, what is my, what, what, what have I done? You know, I think about, well, I, I've been trying to solve this problem around equity, equity and access. Like I want all children, all students, all people, all communities to have equitable access to opportunity um, so that they can thrive in life. That's my like why. And so, you know, when I meet young people and it's not like, where do you want to go next? What do you want to do? What's your ultimate goal? Like, what is the problem you want to dedicate your life and career solving? Because with that answer, there will probably be a very interesting set of career options that you need to think about that are about building the skill set you might need or the, and or the content knowledge you need to ultimately be mm-hmm. a, a contributor to solving that problem. So interesting. I feel like, you know, I asked that question on like all these podcasts and I have been thinking recently how I get, I feel like most people say like, you know, think about your plan and like, but then half of the time it's also like, but also do whatever, wherever life takes you. <laughs> and so I feel like your answer kind of threads the needle between of like, yeah. you have a plan of a goal, but you know, or a problem, but the figuring out the steps around it. Yeah, so. I think it, I mean, for me, I look at the last couple careers I had or jobs I had, I was looking for specific skill sets. 
because I always say, especially with a research background, being a researcher made me really content agnostic. I can learn. I learned about smart cities, and I'm not a techie person, <laughs> right? But I knew enough to go to be dangerous and to organize programs and to execute the work. So you know, it's about the skill set. For me, it was about the skill set to be able to get the content knowledge I need to have this like kind of ultimate problem solving aha. Mm-hmm. Well, terrific. Well, I feel like this flew by, but I think yeah. we covered a lot of ground. So thank you so much, Thanks Courtney. So much for I me. loved having you. Yeah, great. this is great. Thanks, Thanks. so much. And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Courtney Filato for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence. Women of Influence.